This Quick Tech Chats episode is brought to you in association with Zimbabwe Investment Tour 2019. Now, ZIT 2019 is a carefully curated insight mission and transactional opportunity for discerning investors who view Africa as the next frontier for high-growth investment. ZIT 2019 is set to take place in Zimbabwe's capital, Arare, in September 2019. Now, the event will attract serious regional and international investors who have a keen interest in sourcing actionable insight about Zimbabwe, making important high-level connections, and most importantly, doing deals with pre-vetted investors investment-ready companies, asset managers, and government authorities in the new Zimbabwe. Now, for the moment, this is just a heads up. More details about how you can be part of the event will be revealed in the coming weeks and months. But in the meantime, head over to ZimbabweInvestmentTours.com and subscribe for the newsletter. And of course, it's probably a plan for you to follow them on social. Uh, On Twitter, it's at InvestmentTours. On Facebook, it's Facebook.com forward slash ZimbabweInvestmentTours. And on LinkedIn, just search for ZimbabweInvestmentTours and follow them there. And now, here's the second and final part of an insight-filled conversation I had with one of Zimbabwe's most well-known and well-respected business people, the economist-turned-banker, entrepreneur, and investor, Dr. Nigel Chanakira. In this installment, Dr. Nigel shares entrepreneurial wisdom around commercializing market-relevant tech and innovation, and he explains why he remains pragmatically bullish about Zimbabwe's investment prospects. That's all next. Enjoy. My notion is not enough people think with a long enough view. And we were discussing off mic before uh, my, my sort of concern that I might have, as you put it, a, a jaundiced view of the prospects economically, socially, spiritually even for, for a country like Zimbabwe, perhaps because I'm born here and this is my country and my home, but also just because I, I might be uh, susceptible to bias for, for many other reasons. So that sort of declared, I do sense that we need more people who think like you in the inordinate stretches of time that you seem to be able to accommodate uh, in, in waiting patiently for, for investments to start to yield, bets you've made to start to deliver. I mean, with the exception of this, this econet story you've told, yours is a story literally of patience, shunning the road, the path of least resistance for what appears to many as one of the hardest ways to, to make money on the continent, i.e. invest wholeheartedly in investments on, in Zimbabwe, of all places, in the Southern African region. So what would you say to diasporans like, like myself with modest sort of, sort of disposable income and, and expertise that might be useful here? High net worth individuals, investment professionals in the sort of VC and PE scenes, um, anyone who's sort of Africa-focused who's been sleeping on Zimbabwe, and maybe because they don't have the long-term view required to actually succeed and see things through? Well, clearly, I think it's um, looking at entrepreneurs with staying power, looking for entrepreneurs with focus who can ride this lion that is called Zimbabwe. It's like riding a tiger, uh, you know, essentially. Uh, It's not meant to be ridden because, you know, if it throws you off, it's going to tear you apart, as it were. And so that I think is my prognosis of Zimbabwe in the sense that you want to select carefully people who are in it for the long haul because it's, it's needed patience to yield uh, any meaningful results. It can be hazardous along the way and we've got many that have fallen by the wayside 
And so that due diligence in terms of character, in terms of people who are focused on an industry and can grow with the industry that are, for example, you know, uh, technology focused and stay on track with global trends and bring those back home, it certainly pays. If you look at the banks that have been able to weather the storm in Zimbabwe, they've been savvy enough, you know, to, 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 to survive and make lots of money. And so uh, clearly it's not a normal quarterly play. Uh, this is not a game for, you know, your normal investors who want quarterly returns or half-year returns. This has got to be patient capital. Uh, you know, in a very volatile environment. And you want to be participating as well, you know, with those entrepreneurs to see what they see and to see how they can weather the storms that uh, seem to frequently hit uh, nations like Zimbabwe. But those who can understand the environments, uh, that can understand global trends, and then be able to show a return and grow a business despite and in spite, you know, those volatilities that, that exist are ultimately your winners. And, and you win big time. So it's high risk and truly high returns, you know, for those who have the staying power. I've been speaking to some entrepreneurs um, in, over the last couple of days uh, here in Harare and a lot of them, of course, exposed individuals privileged to have lived abroad or studied abroad, observed global trends that might have um, relevance in our, in our market. And, and of course, they're throwing themselves to startup efforts and, and SME efforts to try and solve for Zimbabwean problems. But I am observing a worrying trend towards over-optimizing solutions at the expense of market relevance and even commercial viability. This is something you, someone like Strive Masiwa, seem to have been able to uh, avoid. Um, give me a sense of how you frame market relevance and, and then sort of packaging investable business vehicles for a market like this, given how technically it's not unreasonable to, to, to want Zimbabwe to, to be Wakanda, you know, and and the cutting-edge place that we know it can be. So give me a sense of how you think about that. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, uh, our bank pioneered cell phone banking in Zim. Cell phone banking is a concept that I came across in Nigeria. So I went across to an Econet board meeting in uh, Nigeria as, as just a support guy, you know, to strive and his efforts. And uh, then came across a guy, uh, Valentine Orbi, who basically was one of the entrepreneurs who came up with the concept. And uh, it's an idea whose time clearly had not yet come. And uh, I immediately brought that idea back. This is as far back as uh, 1998. And, and we fiddled around with this thing until you know, it started to make sense. The uptake was very slow. But uh, at the back of my mind, I think, was the discipline that this people don't know what they need. They don't know what they don't know. And so as a result, that gap in terms of knowledge by lack of exposure and thought uh, is really what you are then pursuing. And you are tweaking that model, you know, for relevance in Zimbabwe. And, and clearly, we ran on with that idea and, 
you know, for many a year, we were stuck at a client base of 3,000 before we made a quantum leap to 30,000. And then within a very short space of time, we had the largest uh, mobile banking unit at about 300,000 customers. And uh, ultimately, you know, I got out of that space uh, when I got out of banking. Econet, you know, went on to then, you know, get Mpesa. Mpesa had come through. It was a proven model. And, uh, you know, they looked around, observed, tweaked it further. And then, you know, came EcoCash. And that's been a blockbuster, you know, within itself. Uh, so clearly, there is the discipline uh, and the tweaking uh, that becomes relevant and then the, the, the education and teaching of the market to tell them, you know, of the convenience that they are yet to find out. And once, of course, that, you know, part of discovery is made, it becomes contagious. And so it almost self-markets. I mean, you mentioned Mpesa and you mentioned EcoCash, both products which certainly not tech at its most cutting edge. And that's what people seem to, to forget, that you don't necessarily need the most cutting edge thing to work. And how do you balance the desire to take people where they've never been, but also the discipline to not innovate for the sake of, of doing so, or for the sake of kudos? By observation, uh, certainly in terms of what I've observed, it's really been the discipline of bullying a project through uh, you know, guarding it jealously whilst letting, you know, the young minds and, and, and you know, people who are in charge of those units, uh, you know, fiddle with these technologies, yet reminding them always that it's not just the thrill of, uh, of technology, you know, that we are chasing. We are, at the end of the day, a, a commercial entity that needs to speak, you know, to viability. And so I think that discipline of giving them the latitude to explore whilst at the same time, you know, waving the stick that reminds them that this has got to be sustainable and that uh, at some point in time you will pull the plug. I think, uh, you know, what one has to appreciate, Andile, is a lot of the corpses don't hit the headlines. So there's quite a number of things as well that we've tried and entrepreneurs try and we've packed our bags and, and, you know, dusted ourselves and said, well, that didn't work. But what do we draw from it as an experience? And so there are, you know, apps, there are products that, that we've thought would really take off and then realized perhaps it's time is not right. And so we've pulled, you know, things off the shelf. Uh, not always permanently. I mean, I have an app I'm fiddling with right now in terms of financial literacy, which is uh, an area I'm passionate about. And, um, you know, we've been at that now for, for five years and it hasn't built attraction. But this is what, you know, every individual needs. What's it called? Uh, cash flow optimizer. And so, you know, we've, we're moving into the stage now of gamification, uh, of giving it out for free. But, you know, this was going to be the next, you know, uh, uh, you know, billion dollar idea, you know, for, for me. But it's five years in play and we still haven't hit traction. 
and yet you know as as a guy you know it's it's a great product that needs more play so what we've done for example in that particular play is uh, you feed this thing it, it starts to consume more cash and more resources than, than you actually budgeted for and then you realize of course that you've got to change the players and so we've been at it for too long perhaps uh, the core remains you know very good the idea we think is a winner but uh, we've just recently appointed a new CEO you know to, to, to run with it and so that fresh injection of blood we sense is what's likely to take it you know to the next stage where we thought we would deliver you know this young guy's got to got to take it forward i like that I, and I, i hope our listeners are enjoying the the sort of peek inside your mind where the banker meets innovator meets entrepreneur meets sort of disciplined investor and and i just think it's a really fascinating place i wish we had more time but for the purpose of the time we have left you mentioned corpses um you saw fit to sell kingdom at some point this current obsession with the exit that we see investors have not just on the continent but um everywhere in silicon valley really all, all over the world this exit centricity as they call it it sort of baffles me given how if something's doing really well why would you ever you know why would you let it go you'd be nuts to sort of sell amazon or, or sell econet when you know that even at its current peak a business like econet is only lost sort of like the tip of the iceberg in terms of its potential and and, and what it could be So from that standpoint you know one might ask you like how how does a business like Kingdom ever become the kind of business you would sell and then maybe that could also be paired with another famous story about you merging with the the Thomas Meikle group I think it was called for those who aren't familiar with that group it's effectively like a young black entrepreneur finessing their way to a partnership with the Oppenheimer family or or Johan Rupert or something of that nature and and there you are with this bank courting what is an 100 year old business and again these are all things in in your rear view mirror at this point so you know join the dots for us well you know my fundamental philosophy in business has has really been built on four pillars uh, firstly uh, i'm a christian unashamedly i want to do a business that glorifies god in everything that we're doing you know i, I would like to see that business uh, let god's light shine Uh, secondly you know it's got to be fun uh, you know that's a, a fundamental issue uh, uh, thirdly we want to make money and we want to make lots of it you know in you know as good a time as we can so we must be competitive and finally i want to be a service you know to my consumers and so based on those principles i think if i look at the kingdom story and the kingdom mickles africa story Uh, I look at it and I say to myself was it glorifying God you know when partners begin to squabble no you know it it's not the picture that you know I would want to paint was it fun uh, hell no it wasn't you know we were in the papers for the wrong reasons you, you even made your, your way to a cell like twice because oh, of yeah. things you'd written in your column oh yeah you, you know so clearly you know the pains that come with that uh just are not worth it were they making money at the time certainly you know they were making money but the prospects didn't look good be- oh yes because of the time what year was this well if i look at um afro asia kingdom that was 2013 uh 
Afri Asia Mauritian outfit. Yes, and that's who I partnered with, uh, Kingdom, and then sold uh, in 2013 and exited banking altogether. And then with uh, Kingdom Meekles, uh, 20, 2008 is when we did the merger. And then by 2011, 2010 is when I made the exit. So yes, making money uh, and clearly you want to get out while you still can. And I think in both businesses, I've been able to, you know, get out while I still, whilst there was still money on the table. And so from that perspective, if the businesses don't fit those criteria uh, as, a, as, as a serial entrepreneur, there, there are other businesses to do that would, you know, meet my criteria. And so from that perspective, I, I clearly sought to move on. So I moved on, you know, went into mentorship, which I love, went into private equity and, and, and fiddle around with technologies as I did with phones uh, in private equity and then also with the, with the apps. And so I'm having the time of my life. I can also then engage, mentor people, you know, train, invest, and then do philanthropic work, you know, like with the churches I'm doing and have the time to do so. So I have two last questions. I read somewhere that uh, Kingdom will be folded up finally. I don't know if that's true. And I wonder how you think about the level of sentiment some people have around their investments and how you for yourself frame your role in engaging with new things. How much of yourself do you see fit to infuse in things going forward? Does it hurt when you see things you left behind sort of unwind? Or is it like a pragmatic that was then, this is now? Well, look, uh, I think from a commercial standpoint, and you being a businessman would understand this, that uh, a business is something that you can found, but you can't, in my view, get too sentimental about, uh, in the sense that, you know, if you are too sentimental, you then don't make the, the right business decisions. Um, Afro-Asia Kingdom, as it was then known, was a merger of what was in my DNA and what was in Afro-Asia. What we then created was Afro-Asia Zimbabwe, uh, you know, in terms of the banking entity. And I sold to Afro-Asia. And so clearly on the 5th of September 2013, I had to, you know, look back at the 15 odd years, uh, you know, that I had been in business. Was it 15? It's actually, what, 94 plus 19 years. You know. And a thousand odd people working for you? Yes. And I had to make that call. You know, did I want to move on with my life independent of that or not? And I made the call. And clearly, obviously, those and, and banking becomes very, you know, difficult. It's not like selling any other business because a lot has to do with reputation. A lot of the shareholders, all 6,000, some didn't know I sold, although it was in the press and, you know, and uh, when the bank then collapsed subsequently, when Afro Asia Bank Zim collapsed some 18 months after I had left, I left on the pretext that they wanted to raise more money and they felt they could raise more capital without me. And they, you know, felt very strongly that my ideas, you know, were kind of old school and they wanted to take the bank in a different direction. So clearly, short of buying it back, 
I was not in a space where I could, you know, uh, uh, flourish in terms of my entrepreneurial acumen. And so from that perspective, I had no space. I was not part of management. I was a non-executive director. So I couldn't influence it, you know, in the direction that I, I wanted. And that was more painful for me to watch, you know, as a shareholder and as a board member. And so it was the right thing to do and, and leave. Now, obviously, the sentiments then follow you because once it does collapse, you know, people still go back and say, well, I had my deposits there because of your name. But I mean, you know, the reality, Andile, is when I left... Your name, your name left with you. Exactly. So, I mean, can I... Can, so, in a sense, I will always meet a depositor with that and, and I empathize with them. But, you know, there it is. That's the reality. And similarly, when I look back at the, the, the Meikle's uh, situation, great business. And we could have taken that business places. But once again, if, you know, the CEO, as I was, gets into a tiff with the, f- with the chairman uh, and, uh, you know, a 42% shareholder, then, you know, hell, you know, I got no space in there. I re- the grass has no chance. Oh, yeah. So clearly, so again... You know, the wounds, you know, are there. And sadly, in, in both cases, you know, when I left, things just seemed to deteriorate and get a whole lot worse. Uh, the share prices never recovered. You know, the profitability, the dividend payments uh, history, which, you know, had become associated with me. So, again, people look back and say, well, if you had stayed, you know, what could have been? But the reality, Andile, is, you know, there comes a point in time when a businessman has to make the call. Am I adding value or am I really just destroying value by staying and, you know, agonizing over it? So, yeah, I think one has to be hard-nosed about it uh, and say it's done and, and look on to the next chapter. What can I build? How can I add value? And, and clearly, you know, I, I'm doing that but less so now, you know, under the spotlight of, of, you know, uh, publicly listed companies. And, uh, you know, I enjoy the peace of that and empathize, you know, with uh, the carnage that that clearly the blood that's still on the streets as a result of those. So my final question to you is, is there a question I haven't asked? uh, And really, I've got a, uh, you know, I have a bunch. um, So I'm really just needing to rein myself in. Uh, in the hopes that at some point in the future we'll get to talk again, and certainly I, I anticipate respo- the response to this conversation is going to, is going to yield even more questions about uh, about Zimbabwe, which is really part of the point here, which is, uh, you know, Zimbabwe is popping. Um, it's a tough place, but it has a, a, a resilience that very few places in the world can match, and, and people need to to be paying more attention. That said, is there a question I haven't asked that you? wish I had? Uh, perhaps, you know, my question is, you know, Zimbabwe, you know, what's in it for Zim? And, and for me, I think the opportunities are still here. I think the future is still brighter than a lot of people actually anticipate. What we're going through is, is I think, temporary. I think it can only make us stronger. And I would argue and postulate that a business or businessmen, businesswomen 
who've been able to weather the storm in Zimbabwe can probably run a business anywhere else, you know, in the world, in the sense of, you know, when turbulent times come, you know, they will be able to resist and probably, you know, sustain themselves through. The opportunities are here. I think the future is bright. You know, the authorities obviously need to sort out quite a few things. But uh, for any serious entrepreneur, you cannot afford to neglect Zimbabwe. And this coming from a gentleman um, with investment interests around the world who, who frankly boggles the minds of many when they realize you could live anywhere you like. I mean, you, you have a home in South Africa, you spend a lot of time in the US, but you choose to make Harare home base for the vast majority of, of your time in any given year. And, and, and so coming from you, I think that's saying a lot. Uh, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about some of the specific PE plays that you're involved with, some of the interesting uh, VC plays that you've administered, overseen in the startup space. It's really interesting things that I no doubt will require us to speak again. And so all of that to say, him or her, who has ears, let him or her hear. <laughs> Thanks, Andile, for the opportunity. And I would be available, certainly, to talk about the future of this great country and continent. Thank you. Thank you.